0: The following production is part of the Play
1: Some Video Games Podcast Network. Greetings, patrons. It is your monthly edition of Board With Everything. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle. Joining me as always, Josh, how are you doing, sir?
2: Hey, I'm good. I'm just waiting for this edible to kick in. I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, I, I am, why would you say that when I just talked about how I haven't eaten dinner yet and it's way past my dinner time?
2: Well, I mean, I don't know that you want to eat it for sustenance. No, I don't. I just am <laughs> hungry,
1: period. Uh, but anyway, board With Everything, your monthly look at all things not gaming related, and we are very lucky to have our first non-PSVG guest on the show, but really a friend of board With Video Games, William Herkovitz, welcome to the show, sir.
0: Thanks for having me on, guys. Kyle's nemesis returns.
1: (laughs) Hey, I've been very nice as of late. I don't know what I can say about you, Josh, but I've been very nice. No, I'm here to to ravage Kyle. I'm sorry. Well, that sounds pretty wonderful. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So this is your monthly thing. Of all things, not gaming related. And William, as the guest, we're just going to go for an hour. We just kind of talk until we run out of topics or the hour hits. As the guest, you get the choice. You can either introduce a topic first. Or you can pick Josh or myself to introduce a topic.
0: Well, based on Josh's introduction, I a hundred percent want him to go last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Because I feel like the topic will get richer as we go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can, I can, I can go first. Let's do it. So, do you want me to just introduce the topic and then we just we 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 shoot the shit about it, or do you? I, I, you know, because I read something kind of interesting, I want to talk about it a little bit. Intr- uh,
1: introduce a way, give as much backstory. Fill it out as much as you'd like to, and then we'll just talk about it.
0: Beautiful. Okay, so the thing I want to talk about is Samurai and the essay that has forever ruined the, like, generally positive but, like, somewhat thoughtless way I've ever viewed Samurai media, which is, as a nerd, is just quite a lot. Uh, So I've I've fallen down a, a rabbit hole recently. I want to talk this out with you guys. So the essay that I'm referencing is six years old, but because I read it last week, I want to talk about it now. And I was speaking about it with a good a good friend, and he he was telling me about the, a new video game. I think it's called Ghosts of Tsushima, which I know Josh yep. loves, but I know absolutely nothing about. Yep. So this essay is called Bushido: The Way of Total Bullshit by Richard Duffy, and it's for an online outlet called Tofugu, and it's from 2014. Have you guys? Is there any chance that you've you've read this before or heard about this?
2: No, but that's a very aggressive title.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, okay, so here the general like argument of the essay is that this concept of Bushido is a fiction. So um, you know, you we you know like you guys, tell me what Bushido is. If you're playing this game, I'm sure that there's some description of it.
2: Um actually, um, I would say Ghost doesn't focus on it doesn't address Bushido. Um, um I know that it's from my knowledge, it is um, like the code of the samurai, or like the way of the samurai.
0: Yeah, it's like this code um, of, but like, it's kind of like an
2: on. Yeah, but it's also like almost as I always thought. It may be almost like undefinable because I think it's different for samurai, which is kind of featured in the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so.
1: I was gonna say my general understanding is kind of the whole. You know, you'd rather die, you'd rather kill yourself than live in a live a life without honor. So if something happens where you dishonor your family or you do something that is considered shameful, um, you know you're going to go ahead and disembowel yourself th- with some seppuku. Um, but rather than live like a life of dishonor or something or something that would bring shame upon your family, is my understanding at least. Uh, that,
0: I mean, that's my. I think that's just like the general Western and like American media understanding. That's what Samurai Jack right. taught me. That's what the last samurai yeah. told me. That's what I read in Rurouni Kenshin. Um, so yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, Okay, so basically there, I got two points. There's two points from this essay that are interesting about why this is BS. So this, the first is that the term Bushido actually was first co- coined as a concept, like the concept we think of it as today, what we just described, in 1900 by this Japanese writer called Inazo Nitobe. So he wrote this book in English called Bushido, The Soul of Japan. Uh, and this guy, he wasn't a historian. He was like an agricultural expert, uh, but he was like an expat. He spoke English fluently and he like traveled around the world. Um, and he was an early Japanese Christian. And he was trying to explain like Japanese history and culture, like to this new world, um, using Christian values and like biblical quotations. And so he didn't even he didn't even publish this book on Bushido in Japanese. And Japanese historians, when they finally got it translated at the time, were like, what what is this guy talking about? Uh, so there, there's like in the essay, uh, there's you know, it talks about why Natobe's assertion of of Bushido as this like widespread and long-standing samurai code. Um, you know, this thing, as you've already described, Kyle, as, uh, you know, someone would kill themselves rather than, like, dishonor an oath. Why that's been adopted and perpetuated, but I, I'm kind of just going to skip all that because you should just read the essay. Um, but but the, the the second point I want to bring up about why Bushido is BS is that, and this was the most interesting for me, it had to do with this, like, what we know about large-scale samurai warfare. So there's, like, one of the most famous battles in Japanese history is called the Battle of, I think it's Sekigahara, uh, which founded the Tog- uh Tokugawa shogunate. And so this is the, the national government from 1600 on until like the mid 1800s. It's like the first national government following this like long period of civil wars. So this battle is this like enormous campaign with like all these feudal leaders and they're like 1600,000 samurai. It was basically, you know, they battled out the future of Japan and it was like all based on treachery. Like the whole thing is just basically backstabbing. You have like, it's like Game of Thrones. You have like six of these feudal generals on one side. It's like a, a fourth of like one force that like, flip sides or, like bowed out right before the battle and they like skewed the numbers on everything like right before the fight and what i'm reading is that that's like emblematic of like the samurai era of era of like how samurai fought which is that it was just game of thrones style negotiating and backstabbing and failing to show up to a fight and like that dominated whatever concepts of like overarching like honor or like loyalty you might otherwise expect and that's like the that's like the exact i mean if you're if you promised to show up for a fight and then you just switch sides or bow out. That's like the opposite of what we think about Bushido, right? And so the thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about is that for me, this actually, like, now that I'm, like, just reading this, it kind of makes sense to me. So, you know, we mythologize samurai and also, like, knights in Europe. And, and like, especially in nerddom, I think we mythologize these things. And I think Game of Thrones has done, a, like, an excellent job in, like, killing, like, the majesty of, of knights. Uh, but, you know, what these people really were, they were, like, thugs of, like, a feudal system, we're, like, landless peasantry. We're, like, forced to, like, live, toil, and die in perpetuity for, like, gilded regents. And, like, who enforced that but, like, samurai? And, like, you feel like a farmer or, like, tired of, like, starving or being treated like crap by, like, the class above you and you, like, try to change things. Like, if it's a knight or a sa- like, these are the guys that's gonna, like, come in and just, like, slaughter you. And gonna put a stop to that. Uh, and so I watched, I think it was two nights ago, on a Kurosawa movie called Kagemusha. It's from 1980, and it's, like, it's, like, where the the king hires a thief as his body double because he looks just like him. And then the king dies, and, like, all the samurai generals try to, like, prop up this thief for, like, a few years, like, to continue this war. So not, like, everyone doesn't know that the king dies. And I was like, yeah, the, maybe these guys are all jerks. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. Maybe they're all jerks.
1: <laughs> I think it's interesting because, obviously... We typically, like I said, we're not supposed to talk about games, but I think there's actually just some incidental surprising tie-ins to Ghost of Tsushima uh, that you just talked about. Because one of the things that it does in the game, at least, is it presents the, it de- definitely presents the idea that samurais aren't always great people. right? Like, you might, like, the honor idea is that I'm going to fight someone, but I'm going to fight them face-to-face. I'm not going to stab someone in the back. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to kill some people, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to kill some people for reasons that might not seem great. Uh there, you know, you're negotiating situations where you killed off entire families or you exterminated peoples and you did and your characters or your people related to your characters did these things. So that's what I actually thought was kind of interesting about the game, is it wasn't really being like, oh, I'm this our family is super honorable and we do all these things right. There's a lot of people who don't like you in the game. And that was really the first time I had ever thought about. Because I always thought Samurais as these awesome, you know, like you were talking about, these awesome warriors who went out and did these cool things in honorable ways. And surprisingly, this game has introduced me into things that I did not think were going to be true. Josh, I don't know if you've had the same experience.
2: In the game, I mean, there's people that... There's specifically a person who, and maybe more, uh, impersonates Samurai uh, for status, um, but are definitely not trained in the Samurai way. I think what's interesting about this essay is this clearly well it, it comes across as um a way to legitimize samurai or or paint them in a in a a better light. I'm curious um uh what uh Natobe's like reason for doing that was like did he have some type of attachment to samurai was he seeing it as like a he was upset that it was being seen at the time as like a cowardly or like um like career um or is this just something where someone came to him and was like hey like we want to be looked upon as how we looked at ourselves because like if you look at pictures of the same right they're like their armor is like two times the size of them. They're under six feet. They're under five feet. Some of them. They're not very imposing looking. Some of them. Um, so I'm real curious about what what the reason to create bushido and and like what it seems like is like like um, build up this like seppuku. Like this is what an honorable samurai does, and and he'd rather you know kill himself and die at the sword then like lose in a battle but meanwhile like you see later that they were too afraid to commit seppuku because it hurt too much so they weren't even doing that they were pretending to do it so it really is i guess uh eye-opening because i didn't really know while looking through this while you guys are talking like i didn't know a lot of this stuff because i think yeah it is like this whole like trying to rewrite history and make, or make things look different than what they were. And you're right about Game of Thrones, I think. They did do a pretty good job at showing how fat, old, and lazy a lot of the knights were and how scared most of them were, you know, big talk but wouldn't, wouldn't show up to battles or would, or would um, red wedding people, uh, you know, and be sneaky and, and deceitful. So I think it's interesting. And, and part of the game, and, um, since we're already talking about it, is um, you're challenged like, right away on uh, if you can and will follow the Code of the Samurai because it's shameful to be a ghost or it's shameful to you know, kill your enemy from behind. And, and you're definitely given plenty of opportunities to do that. Uh, but the game constantly reminds you that what you're doing is – is not what you should be doing. Like, (laughs) you get, like, flashbacks to, like, being scolded uh, about, like, why are you doing what you're doing without spoiling anything. Uh, It's really interesting, and it makes me want to follow the code of the samurai as I'm playing. (laughs) I hate sneaking up on people and killing them because it makes me feel bad. (laughs) I'd rather just cut their head off.
0: (laughs) That's my entire approach to Skyrim. But, uh, so I think that, um... (laughs) uh, My understanding is that the reason that he wrote Bushido, the Soul of the Samurai, uh, this Nitobe guy, uh, was basically to make sense of Japanese history to like greater Christendom as Mm -hmm. like a Christian, uh, to kind of turn what would otherwise just be viewed as like this like isolated culture of savages to like, as actually this this is an honorable system that embodied Christian values even before Christendom came here. And I think Part of it is that it kind of languished in obscurity for a while until this, like, rise in Japanese nationalism. And it's, like, this idea of Bushido has been, like, co-opted historically by Japanese nationalists to, like, as a way to understand, like, how honorable we were before. And, like, how, like, self-sacrifice works its way into what it means to be, you know, to have Japanese identity. And a lot of other stuff that I think is just beyond my understanding. But I just thought, you know, I added, like, a little bit of complexity that I just never... I know, I I thought of Samurai as, like, Samurai Jack. And that was basically it
2: do you think that does do you think do you think this is something that people should be like analyzing and looking on or is it something we can just like should i be correcting people if when people talk, if i get into a conversation about like bushido in the way of the samurai like or is this something that is just like a like I can't look at it the same anymore because I I
0: don't think it's like a correcting or like shaming thing at all. I think it's like more interesting. It just like adds complexity and depth to this, like to this topic and conversation and just makes it like I'm going to, then I'm not going to be able to look at, uh, you know, samurai media the same way that I ever did before, but like, I'm excited to watch the next like Kurosawa film and like think about it through this new lens. I think it's like something that's worth bringing up in conversation as like a cool fact about Bushido and samurai and Japanese culture to, you know, people like me that know basically nothing about any of those things other than what I've just stated on this podcast.
2: <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because in Ghost you you're facing off against the Mongolians who are like are notoriously the most barbaric and evil and corrupt peoples and even in the game they're even portrayed as relatively smart and uh, well trained and thoughtful so I'm, I'm now I'm now I'm curious to look up Genghis Khan and kubla Khan and see what's going on with their uh, code
0: <laughs> I mean they were effective administrators can you imagine having an <laughs> empire that stretches from Europe all the way to like all, all the way to the Pacific Ocean that is right? you, you have you're like bringing messages through horses. Like you have to be really like, let's forget the killing and the murdering and everything. Just from an administration <laughs> level. That's that's that is amazing.
2: Tw- that's like 2020 defined. <laughs> 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 let's look at it from an administrative level. Uh, forget about the killings. <laughs> uh
1: I think my favorite part of that number one. Favorite part number one of that whole conversation is William, how do you sound so smart all the time? <laughs> um <clears throat> if you could let me in on that secret, that'd be great. Number two, Josh, I love the (laughs) time you talked about how, you know, people weren't really practicing seppuku because they realized it hurt a lot. Yes.
2: No, it says that. It literally says it. I know, (laughs) I it does. I just,
1: I just love that realization that stabbing yourself in the stomach with a
2: knife probably is going to hurt You didn't think disemboweling yourself was not going to be painful? Right. (laughs) The first guy does it, he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to, I can't finish this. (laughs) I,
0: I think like the big takeaway is like, oh, wait, people are still people stabbing yourself in the stomach hurts and people like (laughs) acting like bastards. Like that's just like, that's a fact that it doesn't change.
2: (laughs) Yeah. They didn't have crystal meth back there. to uh, Take the pain away for you. (laughs) What's that guy doing? Uh, You know.
1: (laughs) All right, Josh, that is topic one down. Would you like to go next or would you like me to go next? Oh man. I don't know. I
2: don't want to, that's a good topic to follow up. Um, Mine is very, yours better be about ninjas. Lighthearted. We can talk about the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I can talk right, about that.
1: So. We could. Okay, I'll go then. I'll let, I'll let that... Oh, that, Kyle's is about ninjas. Okay. <laughs> no, mine's not about ninjas. It could be, I guess. You could make it.
2: I'm going to Google ninjas so, and see if anything interesting comes up.
1: <laughs> so here's the question. Do you want to go the positive route with this question or the negative route with this question?
0: It's 2020. Let's go positive. Let's go as positive as right. possible.
1: possible? <laughs> okay, here we go then. What do you think is you could say underappreciated or underrated, however you want to look at it. Most underappreciated piece of media. Could be a television show, book, movie, anything like that. Something that you really, really enjoy, but you think is not appreciated as much as it should be. I will go first so you can both think about it because obviously I thought of this topic, so this will give you some time. And my pick for this is something that I do think... There's a strong contingent of people who really like it. But I think that in the grand scheme of film, there's not this film doesn't get talked enough about enough with the greats to me at least. Um and that film is Children of Men. I think that movie is absolutely incredible and I think that it does one of the best jobs I've ever seen of of creating a sense of place, of really transporting you to a world. I think the camera work in it is absolutely amazing. Everything well written, amazingly acted. Everything about that movie to me is just a home run. I'd always liked the movie, and then I watched it again not too long ago, and I just realized how amazing that movie is. Especially actually, kind of watching it today. Uh, <laughs> sometimes hits a little close to home, but really, I think *Children of Men* completely underappreciated for everything it is done. Like I said, most people still like it. Most people say, "Yeah, it was a good movie." But I really think Children of Men does not get the love and, de- and attention it deserves. Have either of you seen it? Have you, either of you, do either of you appreciate Children of Men?
0: Kyle, you know I love to hate on you. You know I love to hate on you. You do love to hate on me. But I have to yeah. say that you could not be more correct. That is, is such yes! a great film. You know, there's that, that scene where, you know, there's, there's no spoilers because this movie came out so long ago, where they're carrying the baby through the war zone. And there's that long mm-hmm. shot that goes for like two minutes without any sort of cuts it's just like it gives me chills even just think about it It it's just such the just the pacing of that film the dialogue the actors uh man (laughs) yeah you're you're totally right on that
1: so like i said i know a lot it gets props people are like oh yeah that was a good movie but i really just think it it is far underappreciated and really if you think about it i mean a really great follow-up for the director because alfonso curion i mean his previous movie Right before that, I think, was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And then he comes out and he does Children of Men. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of a change there, but I just absolutely love that movie. Josh, have you seen it? Do you like it?
2: I have seen it. Um, uh, I It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I really did enjoy um, this movie. I, I do constantly confuse Julian and Julianne Moore's character in this and Blindness often. And I sometimes mix up the plot lines. So sometimes I remember <laughs> her um, like she's a great actress in this too, but like in blindness it's like an like a like I don't know that I've seen her act better. Uh but I I I, I tend to confuse the scenes a little bit. Um so that's also they
1: were relatively the same time ish, right? Wasn't blindness a little bit after John I think?
2: So Children of Man was 20, 2006... And Blindness was... Uh, and Julian Moore. Josh, come on. You know, 2008, so two years in between. Okay.
1: I'll take that. I'll count that as a win, that my but mind when, is totally horrible. When audible. you were
2: talking about... I'm not going to use this, I guess, I don't think I'll use it as my topic, but when you were talking about Children of Men, for whatever reason, speaking of underrated films like it... it Beasts of uh, No Nation, the Ildris Elba Netflix movie, and... Blood Diamond both popped into my head as similarly gritty, but also, I think, underrated films, Um, but it's also been a long time since I've seen both of those as well.
1: Gotcha. Just pop. Are you gonna pick? Are you gonna pick something different for the one you're actually going to pick then?
2: Yeah, I gotta figure out what the heck I'm gonna think that is like underrepresented that I like. I like (laughs) William. Do you have one?
0: (laughs) I got one of my favorite movies that's that is overshadowed by another excellent movie and for good reason. Uh, because they both came out the same weekend, and I'm gonna explain the movie that I think is underrated, and then I'm gonna tell you when it came out, and you tell me what movie basically just blew it out of the water. So no one really has ever, not that no one's ever heard of it, but I I never hear about it. So there's a movie called Sorcerer from the seventies. And basically it takes place in South America. And the plot is it's like these like four like outcasts that are on the run. They're basically trying to um, like make amends by they make this deal with the government that they're in. I forget, maybe it's like Colombia, maybe it's Venezuela or something where they're supposed to move this like dynamite that has been like sweated out its nitroglycerin. So basically what it is is this box of dynamite that if you move it too much at all, it's gonna basically go off and explode. And they need to move it for, like a hundred miles or something like that, uh, to basically to put out an oil, uh, like a gas wall fire. Uh, and so basically they're trying to move this box of dynamite through the jungle without moving it too much. And they have to like go over, it. there's one scene where they have to go over this like rickety bridge in a truck, cause they're taking it with trucks and like, it's like raining and the truck is like going back and forth. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but the, I, I don't know. I love I love old movies. I love uh, old thriller movies. And this this one you guys should see. But it, so it came out in 1977, the same year of another movie. So the same weekend as another movie uh, that did much better and uh, remains a big part of like our uh, cultural
1: consciousness. What is that movie? What up, Star Wars that is star wars it's gotta yeah. Be, yeah yeah
2: <laughs> yeah
1: who was a star wars in the theater for yeah. over a year
2: in Isn't in that a like time thing? in a time where movies were typically in a year for six to nine months it was still yeah. it's still impressive but it's right you know people it's not like um what it, it kind of is like now
1: <laughs> i still think over a year is impressive
2: yeah for sure for sure so
1: I've never even heard of this movie, but I definitely want to check it out because you have made it sound very, very cool. It is. It's so cool. I mean, it's no Star Wars. Know, it's no Star Wars, Wars, but it's great. Is there an easy way to watch it right now? Is it streaming on anything? Do you know?
0: You know, it's so old. I have to imagine it's streaming somewhere. Like, no one's, no one's fighting for the rights of sorcerer. There's not, like, a, a pitched battle between Hulu Plus and,
1: and Netflix. Maybe
2: you should get that started. Yeah. You 1977. Could, you could
1: pitch a sequel.
2: Sorcerer movie, Sorcerer Two, Electric uh,
1: Boogaloo,
2: yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. All
1: right, there we go. It Maybe can't be I'll that long,
0: too. It's a, it's a nineteen, uh, it's two hours. Yeah, that's pretty long.
1: Oh, that is long, especially for then. Yeah. That's very long.
2: Ah, uh, I gotta rent it. Never mind. I can't. I can't stream it for free.
1: Okay. Well, still, I'm, I'm jotting <laughs> it down. I'm gonna watch it. It sounds great. Josh, Hi. it is your turn. It is your time. What is your underrated piece of media?
2: All right, let me give you a cat. The cast. In the year, and I'll see if you guys can guess. It's a very underrated film. 2007. Wally. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Benedict Wong. uh, Oh, shoot. What's he from? Um, uh, uh, Hiroyuki Hiroyuki Sonata. You you may not know that. Uh, Chris Evans. Rose Byrne. Cillian Murphy. It was written by Alex Garland, if you're familiar with Alex Garland. Uh, you would definitely be familiar with his films, uh, has- Twenty Eight Days Later, Day, uh, uh, Yeah, uh, Resident Evil series, etc. Do you have any guesses at all? And what if you year don't, was it? It's two thousand seven. It was directed by Danny Boyle. It's not Slumdog Millionaire.
0: There's there's like a small world of Killian Murphy films, and I think that it's Sunshine. Yeah,
2: it is Sunshine, a Dang. film that I think most people haven't seen. In fact, I. I wanted to show it to my wife. I have owned it on Blu-ray forever. Uh, I popped in the Blu-ray to find out it's defective from the manufacturer. It always plays the um, production, uh, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the like the production diaries while you're watching it. So it plays over the audio of the film and it shows oh, up in a gotcha. little box on the bottom, like the like, production company commentary. And then I looked it up on their website, and they're like, "Yeah, you got to send it to us by July two thousand seventeen to get a new copy." And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "That? Oh, <laughs> I guess I just have to throw this away." <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's this movie about the the sun is dying uh, and the Earth is freezing, and t- by 2057, so actually, uh, we're in trouble. Uh, if we make it that far. Um, and originally they sent a um, a rescue mission uh, to what they what they call like jumpstart the sun by, um, well, it's not like the core. It's more scientific and better and, and good than the core.
1: This movie is so good. It's nothing like it's the nothing core. It's nothing like the core. <laughs> uh,
2: but the first mission fails. And this is this new group that they're going up to. To. um to take over this project uh, one of the things that it's most for me notable is the cinematography is like it's phenomenal watching this film the way that they kind of made being on a spaceship or space station less about that and more about like seeing the, these incredible scenes of like looking at the sun surface in their like safe rooms and there's in their ship and then of course um you know shenanigans happen and things get crazy um but it also reminds me without the horror but if you like take like event horizon or um i'm trying i'm blanking on i want to say the movie is called um pendulum or something but it was ben foster space movie uh hey look it's the first search ben foster space movie Pandorum, uh, which is also a very good uh, film. But, like, Sunshine is more like a a Kubrickian type of film than anything else, where it's a lot about characters and dialogue. But uh, I still think it's a very underrated and very good film. Uh, I also did want to mention, I did Google Ninja, and on the whole first page of Google, there's only one link that goes to Samurai every other link. Goes to Ninja the, Ninja the Streamer. That is 2020 for you.
1: <laughs> uh, better. Okay, Sunshine. Better or worse than Ex Machina?
2: Oh, you know they're two different films. Well, uh... of course they are. Everything is
1: different. <laughs> I just that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask the question.
2: I think I enjoy Ex Machina more because it's it's in a category of its own. Like Sunshine, okay. you can you can put that into a bunch of uh, uh, like a category of a bunch of films.
1: Well, then what about Annihilation?
2: yeah annihilation is a very singular film as well <laughs> it's not like anything else uh yeah uh i mean he's a good writer alex garland is good so um have you yeah. guys seen if you're um, curious
0: have you seen uh solaris that reminds yes. me a lot of sunshine because of the same like psychological thriller set in space and then solaris yeah, there's so... like a george clooney one but then there's like a Tarkovsky, like a like a russian one are that's... you
2: talking about the clooney one
0: no, the Clooney one's not that good. The three-hour no the one is like is... in my.
2: <laughs> I'm glad you said that. The Clooney one's in my top five least favorite films of all time. <laughs> Dang, it is. It was a bad experience watching that film. <laughs>
0: Did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys like *Ad Astra*?
2: I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it's. Uh uh it's a little um divisive (laughs) as far as the fan base
0: (laughs) i feel probably the same (laughs) way that you felt about the george clooney solaris okay another psychological sci-fi really the the premise
2: of solaris and i can't spoil this film either because it's so old uh imagine you're watching uh uh a romantic drama let's say where you're in this, this horrible relationship for the whole movie, but she's a ghost. <laughs> like it's terrible. It's like one fine day with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. But it's just a, a, a toxic couple stuck together for all of eternity. <laughs> the guy who so the guy who
0: wrote Solaris. He's a he's a Polish science fiction writer who wrote a bunch of uh, work. I think in like the 50s, 60s, and 70s. His name is Stanislaw Lem. He's my favorite writer of all time. The book is fantastic. And the, the, the Russian version of the film is also great. They didn't like play up the Michelle Pfeiffer angle as much in the, in the, the Russian film or the, or the book. Yeah, you know, they just actually something really interesting about Stanislaw Lem. Uh, so he, he died a long time ago, but they just found a new one of his works, like a new like, short story that came out. I think it was like late last year, or early this year. Yeah. He has this one book called Imaginary Magnitudes that's a series of uh, like introductions to books that don't exist. And so there are all these like hilarious introductions to like one is like for uh, a dictionary of words that computers of this like nth generation know. We're like, you so you know, like to understand a word like um, microscope. You need to kind of understand some like scientific like principles behind it, right? It'd be like really hard to explain that to like a caveman or someone from the Renaissance. And he has this like introduction to this book where all the words to know what the words mean, you would need more than a human lifetime to actually understand like the components of those. Words. And he's like, he has like a lot of fun with it. It's super funny. It's it's a it's a great book. Man,
2: oh, well, learn something new. every time we have Lima. My brain I know I always a little feel, <laughs> bit. I always
1: feel dumb. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs>
2: I mean, so, that's the best so Kyle, That's, yeah, that's what I'm that going for. Feel, that's yeah. what I'm going for
0: this, this episode. I've, I've been hard on you before, and now I'm kind of doing the, the psychological thriller approach to you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's working. Very effective. Very effective. I got to read more. I don't even have like a regular favorite author. Regular <laughs> I got to go movie. write a book right now <laughs> compared to an author from a different country who's my favorite. Goodness. Okay. Josh, with that. Hey. It is time for your topic.
2: Hey, so, um, this kind of just broke and I kinda of thought it was interesting and I was and it it's in the in the film industry. Um did you guys see the deal with AMC and Universal that happened uh, within the past two days? All right. Well, I saw the so, headlines, but some backstory it. was so the backstory to this is in March, um Universal released trolls on VOD and in theaters, but theaters were closed. Um, and typically you're supposed to wait like a set amount of days, it's just like the unwritten rule of the road. Like, you wait these many days to release your movie on VOD, so you're not hurting the theaters. So then, universe, uh, then AMC hit back and they said, you know what, we're not going to play any more Universal Studios films in our theaters, period. And then, Universal's like, oh shit, uh, oh. delay Fast and Furious till 2021. Um, uh, shelf a bunch of our movies because we don't know what we're going to do now now in the meantime like Trolls World Tour was a huge VOD success for them which is why AMC also got very angry so they weren't talking to each other forever until Tuesday which was wait for it yesterday uh, the two companies they they announced that they had agreed on a new theatrical window of just 17 days so um a m c said you well universe can play any of uh, their movies now. It's fine, you can come do that, so that's like uh, three
0: weekends and then the weeks in between right That's like the idea
2: three weekends, yep, three weekends so um it's a significant shortage i'm I'm getting this from polygon uh, uh a polygon article, and um it's they say it's significantly shortened of previous windows, which was closer to ninety days for a physical home release. Yeah, in about seventy five days for digital releases, so it's it's a huge jump. So their um, example in practice would be Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World Dominion is supposed to release June eleventh, twenty twenty one. If you don't want to see in theaters on June twenty eighth, you can rent it for twenty bucks on your TV. So my question to you guys is: What do you think this is going to do? To theaters,
0: I'm con- I'm conflicted. First off, like Netflix exists, right? Like I watched The Irishman, and it just came out straight on Netflix. Like that exists. So theaters were going to have to change somewhat. Like you couldn't just you couldn't have a, a movie sitting there for ninety days when you have like other houses that are basically just working their you know film straight to your computer. So. They clearly had to change. But yeah, I don't. What does this do to theaters? I think that I mean, I love going, I, once this pandemic is over, over, like one of the things that I'm most looking forward to doing is going and seeing a movie again in the theaters like that experience, like it brings a lot. I don't actually think that it is. Um, it is like some relic of like a bygone era. I think it's like paper books, right? Like we have other technologies, yet some people still just prefer paper books because the experience is just slightly different. Like I'm able to stream a movie on my laptop, but I like to go to a theater and I like to sit around with a bunch of friends and we're all watching the same movie at the same time. Uh, we're all getting the good seats, which is exactly in the the center, both <laughs> height and uh, uh, length. Um,
1: oh, but wow, I think that's that, where you go for best seats. Yeah,
0: or slightly, you know, as I get older, I actually like getting closer and closer to the front because you get the you know you have the full wow. view.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> so long as you're not creating your head back. But I think that... um. Uh. Do you think this is, like, the beginning of, like, the death knell of, of theaters? Like, are they going to be able to, does it, does it do you think that, that economics makes
2: sense? Three weekends? Kyle, what do you think?
1: I, this is a tough one, because I do think that there are some movies that, well, see, but if they can charge that much for the VOD, I don't know that they're really losing much by.
2: Well, the studio them. isn't.
1: Right, the studio isn't really losing much. So I really wonder what is the benefit to the the studios to maintain this relationship, right? We talk about, you know, in the video game perspective, you always talk about how PlayStation and Xbox can't really upset uh, their third-party retailers and stop releasing physical things because they need someone to sell their consoles, right? You have to have someone to sell the consoles still. Well, you don't really need that with movies anymore. You don't need the person to sell... that middleman of theaters to make your money back anymore, because as trolls has shown, you're able to make a significant amount of money just by going straight to VOD. My question is, and I don't know the answer to is all those other movies that released on VOD this summer. How well did they do?
2: Right. And that's a great question. Um, I, I know Invisible Man did really well, but I also don't know that was also, I think had a limited theatrical release before everything happened. Um, but, uh, AMC did, uh, they are getting a share in some of the new revenues, but only AMC theaters. So Regal, Showcase, um, Alamo, all these places like Alamo's going to be fine. Cause they're, they do all like the, the, like the old fashioned cinema too. Like you can go see Indiana Jones tomorrow at the Alamo and then Scott Pilgrim the next day. Um, so they didn't say how much the revenue share would be for a m c my my thought is while I agree to a degree with William like i loved loved going to the theaters, and I still do uh but I get so weary now because my experiences are so inconsistent where i don't I don't always go to a movie and enjoy it because of the people around me, and I'm still paying the same amount of money to gamble on a quality experience. Um now if like so Tenet, a movie filmed in IMAX, a Christopher Nolan film that I want to see, I'm more willing to suffer um an uncomfortable movie going experience if I'm if it's like a li- like a limited release. Like Tenet was filmed in IMAX. You should see this in IMAX. And then you can watch it at home and think if you experience it differently. I'm more like willing to do that but for me and my wife to go to the movies now before even considering taking my son it's like 20 dollars is a bargain to rent a movie and at this point if you look at what they've done for rentals it's usually like a week or two later you can buy it for seven eight nine bucks or no sorry you rent it for five six seven bucks uh, so I'm still very much a physical guy as far as movies go. Like I buy physical releases. I don't even, I give away my movies anywhere it codes because I don't use it. Um, I still love physical media. So that kind of plays towards like the, the theater part. And I wouldn't necessarily buy it digitally, but I'd be more willing to rent it. Um, you know, we got a popcorn maker. We got popcorn kernels. We got butter. Like we can simulate it as much. You know, and it makes it for us a lot easier. We can't get to the movies with a kid, so this is even more incentivizing to us. Like, great! I almost bought I almost bought Scoob to watch it just because it was something I could watch, and then like like you know, luckily HBO Max just put it on HBO Max a week later. I didn't even have to buy it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great! Um, so I think that's also something you'll see. I would never have gone to see Scoob in theaters. So I think doing this also broadens your audience, just like a Game Pass does. Um, People who wouldn't go to the theater to see Trolls World Tour might have four kids at home, and now they're buying it because it's something to do during the pandemic. I mean, this is obviously a specific case. Um, And if if the pandemic goes away, I don't think theaters are going to hurt. It just depends on if they're still around.
0: Hmm. So I have have something interesting. So I don't know if all your listeners, uh, I don't think we said this at the top, but I live and I work in Rwanda in Central Africa. And in in the country, we have one movie theater in the entire country. And I love that movie theater. But it's like you go to the movie theater and it costs like $3. Or if it's like a a 3D movie, it'll cost like $4. Um, And they usually are playing like the worst Hollywood movie that's out two Bollywood movies and then occasionally you can get lucky. Like they usually they played the um, they played all the, the Marvel cinematic universe movies. And so like, we got to see like black Panther in central Africa and there's like a scene where they like zoom in on where Wakanda is. And it's basically Rwanda and everyone, like everyone was going crazy and clapping in the, in the theater. And, but um, yeah, I think that uh, so that's, that's kind of skewed how I've seen movies over the last four years. Cause I don't think that that is the average American experience anymore to go out and, see a Bollywood movie for $3. Uh, but I really hope that that movie theater still continues to exist after this pandemic. Cause otherwise that's it. There's like, no, the, this is the end of it's only streaming.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of movie theaters. I have a lot of really good memories, especially in college uh, of going to the twin cities and going to, you know, uptown and the other art house theaters that were showing the latest, you know, indie film and going to see, you know, quills and mall and drive and you know all that stuff at the little indie theater and I wonder if we'll get more to that kind of I almost think of it as vinyl you know how vinyl kind of went away but now it's like this trendy thing that's back that's very boutique I wonder if we'll get kind of into that boutique phase where you you don't have four movie theaters per big city, but you have one or two that are really focused on very specific things that they show some old stuff. There's still some new things that are made specifically for it. It's really artsy. And while I would love to go see a big, huge blockbuster movie in the theater. Still, I would be okay if that was just the experience that was provided. Cause I have a lot of really great memories of those experiences. So do you guys
0: think like, 15 years from now like that's it like movie theaters as we currently know them are like gone and it's just like one like a movie theater that is like as a fun thing you can see like the first weekend when this thing's out on like whatever replaces netflix it's also out like it like in this like physical location and it's kind of strange but you can go with your friends and like that's it and you just can see like old movies as well
2: everyone will be wearing poodle dresses and drinking slurpees (laughs) yeah i don't know it's really crazy to think i don't know if this year has made it harder for me to think that far into the future maybe uh i have a hard time even imagining like currently like seriously like where we're going to be looking at for theaters next year they've already a lot of these theaters have already announced they can't afford to stay closed Uh, in a lot of states They've been letting them reopen and, and clearly that's not helping <laughs> those states. So I'm just really curious. I was talking to my dad about it and he said, Do you, would you go see a movie when they open the theaters again? And I said, I, I, said, I, don't, I don't think I'm comfortable just yet. I would want to wait a little while. I was like, why would you? And he's like, yeah, he's like, as long as, you know, they're seated, um, smart, Like I would be, I would feel fine, and I'm like, yeah, but every theater, pretty much in the in the country, is stadium seating now, right? So if you're sitting in in an aisle and there's two people six feet away from you on left and right, there's still a guy behind you who can just cough and sneeze right over your head, and (laughs) I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure. Those particles will be all up in your business. I feel (laughs) like like I would not feel safe yet.
0: (laughs) Of the list of people I entrust my life to and like public health to people that talk during a movie are definitely not toward the top. (laughs) Like if I'm going to die, it's going to be someone who's talking during the movie.
2: (laughs) And there's someone like that. Deadpool would never really do that in the comics. (laughs) Okay, guy.
1: (laughs) Uh, I one thing that's happened here, and I don't know if this is happening elsewhere, drive-ins have been coming back.
2: Yeah, I, well, we've always drive-ins have always been big here, but um, oh, okay, they're harder to get to now because people are flocking to them.
1: Yeah, so I do wonder if that or something like that might be the future of not every weekend but kind of like you were saying William, like once a month or something there's like this special event at this place that you can go to um to see that you know i think really what would solve it though is if those 4dx theaters just take off yeah <laughs> um then i think will be will be golden but uh yeah i i hope the theaters don't go away i i do like them but i i'm not hopeful that they're still gonna be around in 15 years
0: yeah, I'm gonna be I'm injecting the movie straight into my like cerebrospinal fluid. That is how I, and then we're gonna be talking about whether or not this like three second release is too long. It's gonna ruin AMC. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you gotta <get> wait. <laughs> like, uh Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's uh I think it's fascinating. I didn't expect them to reach a deal, but I I honestly didn't think universal needed to make a deal. I think AMC would have had to to just be like, we're sorry, you can put your theater, your movie in our theater because right. they would be losing so much money. Right. Um universal with the money they spent on marketing for Fast and Furious, they could build a theater in every city in the United States and save money. <laughs> Their own Universal Studios theater. Yeah. And they'd be fine. They would, be, you know, I don't know. There's always ways around it, but everyone is struggling, and I don't mean to say everyone because not everyone's struggling.
1: Sorry, I saw that article the other day that if, like, Jeff Bezos gave a million dollars to every American, he'd still be a billionaire.
2: Yeah, his wife just – his ex-wife just donated, like, a billion dollars <laughs> to a charity organization. Yeah. <laughs> a billion. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we only have a little bit of time left. run it running down there as far as our hour goes. Uh, do either of you have any other topics you'd like to bring up? Otherwise, I have other topics, but I don't want to, you know, just assume no one else does.
2: Well, I totally need to bring one topic, so I don't know.
1: Wanna... Okay. Well, here then, Josh, do you have another topic? <laughs>
2: My you can go. I have another topic, but it's more uh we kind of covered it pre show.
1: <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. Well here we go then. We're gonna look on
2: Is this the another south would side. you rather? <laughs> no, it's not a
1: would you rather. So we talked about things that are underappreciated. Now we're gonna talk about media oh. that's overappreciated. So what do you think is the most <sighs> overrated piece of media, television, movie, book, whatever it might be?
2: Oh, I uh, wanna go first. You want to go first? All right, yeah. I'll
1: let you kick it off then. That was a quick
2: yep. that you came up
1: with that. What is it, Josh?
2: It's. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling that both of you are going to be angry with me. Uh, Seinfeld.
1: You want to know something, Josh? Is... I don't know that I've watched more than seven episodes of Seinfeld total.
2: And I don't know that most people who talk about it have either. I think <laughs> this is a show that people know that it's cool to talk about. But have but haven't watched more than ten episodes. They know Super Nazi. they know Kramer, they know George, and they know the silly dance, and they know that Seinfeld like Superman, like and that's Festivus. What people know and Festivus because that is one thing that definitely caught on. Yeah, Josh oh, and I didn't even know that
1: Seinfeld like Superman. I think
0: yeah, I don't think I've seen more than ten episodes. But I was I was actually ready to defend <laughs> Seinfeld as a concept, and I realized like <laughs> you're right, I haven't actually seen it either. <laughs>
1: Uh (laughs) yeah every time i turn it on i just hear that theme song i'm like oh no and then i change the channel i just don't like the little theme song thing that
2: they have yeah well Uh bored with with video games i got us in trouble for saying friends is a better show than seinfeld i think uh we were asked for at least three straight months on it (laughs) and this is this is definitely going to reignite that but you guys Uh, like your enthusiasm Um, I actually haven't watched Curb Your Enthusiasm.
1: I've never seen it either. It is
0: amazing. It is so funny. I have been told, again, I haven't seen more than 10 episodes of Seinfeld, That it's basically (laughs) Seinfeld, but with like no limits. It's so funny.
2: I like the idea of improvised television. So I'm behind the idea. And I know that a lot of that show is improvised. And a lot of the comedians that go on it, I'm big fans of. I just never, I, I don't know that I was the age for it when it came out. Um, but I know it's still on HBO, so I can definitely go back and watch it. But um, a lot of the people who came up on that show, I love as comedic actors. Um, J.B. Smooth being one of like my favorite um, comedic actors. So it's definitely something I want to watch. I think Larry David's funny, but I don't know that I'm going to go. He's really funny on SNL, um, but I don't know that I'm signing up for a stand-up show from him. <laughs>
0: You should, so, watch, yeah, you should watch you should watch at least a couple of episodes of Kirby enthusiasm he's yeah any 100%. any TV show where the overarching theme is that none of the characters learn anything and that they're all terrible uh <laughs> it's just it's just it's just beautiful
1: <laughs> is this a show that starts off okay though or does it have to grow into it no a I don't think bit? it has to grow at all it starts off perfect okay I just know there's a lot of shows that are like, oh, season two's when it gets good. So I didn't know if this. That's fell in The Office.
2: Or not. Yeah, you mean The Office? <laughs> so I, I-, I I watched The Office and I said I said this is like it used to be. Give it three episodes. That was like yeah. the thing. I think it still is kind of. But that that was the first time someone was like, "Give it a season." I'm like, "Give it a season? No. Can I just start in season two? Well, no. You got to watch it from season one so you understand the characters." Okay, I was like, "So I didn't watch The Office for like." 10 years <laughs> and then i watched it and loved it
0: so josh i take so, it yeah. that you're not a fan of star trek then because it's like every star trek is the beginning is just terrible and then 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 it, then it grows on you
2: <laughs> i do like star trek um i don't love star trek i mean that's something i watch with my dad so you kind of ha- i kind of had that i'm watching this because it's the only thing on on the tv that we have the one tv um i did love the movies we would go see all the star trek movies with my dad, so even like the OG Nimoy ones, um, I do really love those movies as standalone films, and I like Picard the series. Um, I'm, I'm watching the again, final episode Discovery. of Picard
0: with with friends uh, tomorrow. We're doing a thing where we're basically we all we have like a group of us, six of us, and we all sync the movie at the exact same time. So we have like a countdown timer. So that and then we nice. just like post on on our whatsapp group so so it's it, yeah. it, it's the experience <laughs> of watching TV with friends in the pandemic era yeah. it, it's, it's great I would I would highly suggest it nice awesome. yeah
2: so that's it seinfeld come at me haters I would say I guess
1: <laughs> William do you have a piece of overrated? media or something you'd like to share
2: uh
0: yeah I do have there's one piece there's one piece of media whenever anyone brings up that they like it I just think less of them and I just I just have this like visceral revulsion that, that just comes up like This'll to be the top of my throat <laughs> this is gonna be my favorite thing do you guys probably, <laughs> you guys is, read fantasy go. novels at all a little bit a, a little bit yeah have you guys read uh I believe it's Patrick Rothfuss's a name the name of the wind
2: I know people I have, who have read it. <laughs> I have the first book,
1: but haven't read it.
0: It is let's see, The Name of the Wind. Yeah, Patrick Rothfuss. It is the worst book I've ever read in my life,
1: <laughs> and it is, it is, it
0: is maddening to hear people that love it. It has the worst main character. It is the biggest Mary Sue main character ever, and the character is just a total dick, and they can do nothing wrong. And it's just absolutely. If you go on Goodreads, like I love to do hate reads of Goodreads, where you just go find like if I really dislike a book, you can go find like the people that are giving it like two stars because those people are usually giving like solid critiques. And if you go up, Name of the Wind has like it's just all five stars, and then you'll find one person that gives it one star, and they're like, "Am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> this was terrible. <laughs> it is so bad." And I don't, I don't I, know.
2: William. I, don't, you oh, go
0: through, I, I don't know. I don't know what's up. I don't know why people love this book so much.
2: This is ninety five percent of the people like this book. Even Barnes and Noble four point seven out of five fantasy book review nine point four out of ten. Uh, I think you're in the minority in this one, my friend.
0: I'm in the correct <laughs> minority, and it's it is it is infuriating.
2: Uh, let me see if I can get it on audible. Maybe I'll uh, listen to it at work and corroborate or fight you in gladiatorial combat. <laughs> And then I'll commit seppuku.
1: <laughs> Man, well, maybe now that book will just stay sitting on my shelf. Maybe
2: there's three of those books, huh?
1: There are, yeah, it's oh, a trilogy. Four and a half stars though, on I Audible. Like as, <laughs> as every book I feel like is these days, it is a trilogy.
2: Do you think it's so. rated that high because it's Patrick Rothfuss? Because I know he has this like rabid fan base.
0: I think that it is, um, it is fantasy in the purest sense of the word, which is that like you can like it's like a an adventure in which you can kind of just like imagine yourself as like this main character and imagine yourself uh, having to deal with all of these obstacles and like prevailing despite everything and imagine yourself uh, having no flaws whatsoever. And that's what this main character is like. Like you just, um, that's, I think that that is the allure of it. Is that just escapism pure and simple, but it is just a bad book. The pacing's bad. The character is bad. uh, The the dialogue is, is horrible. I'm, like, going through, I'm looking at all of the one-star reviews on, uh, on uh, Goodreads, and everyone that's leaving a one-star review, I would, I would fight and die for them.
2: <laughs> oh, that's some commitment right there. That's good. So, it's the first book in the Kingkiller Chronicles, right? So, I think Seth, um, uh, in our Discord, is a fan of this series. So, Seth, I, think so, I want yeah. to start a Twitter feud between you and William. So, uh, Seth, get, get it, William, after you hear this episode. <laughs> Defend yourself, Seth.
1: Um. Okay, because I know you obviously, William, are a huge book person. Uh, have you read the First Law trilogy? No. What is that? It's from Joe Abercrombie, uh, and the first book is The Blade itself. Um, and I it was recommended to me by someone, and they've always given me very good book recommendations, and I'm just really struggling with the first book in this series. So I just didn't know if you're familiar with it or not. So. I mean, I, I generally I think I'm
0: like a pretty easygoing critic for most for most books. Like, I like most of the things that I read, and then I occasionally I read something that. I like. um, So I assume. I mean, normally if I see, I always and I always feel I always feel like angry when I see that like people like a thing that I don't like, and I think that that just says something terrible about who I am as a person. Like when there's when there's objectively <laughs> a bad piece of media and like IMDb has it on like nine stars, uh, it's just it, I, I I I can't bear that. No, I don't know. I mean. The, what, what don't you like about the first law?
1: I really struggle with uh, the characters. I, I don't know that any of the characters are particularly interesting and they all seem very um, rote. And like I've seen these characters elsewhere before and you're just kind of bringing characters from different books um, or different series into, um, you know, together into this one series. And I feel like many of them are... V- really strictly archetypal like they really fa- fall into these very you know regular buckets you have uh, the main well one of the main characters because it's you know written from multiple perspectives similar to you know game of thrones which made that super popular for people to do not that others didn't do it before that but um you know, it's written from multiple perspectives. So, like, one of the characters is like the dashing, like, young lord guy who's trying to be, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's so cool. And then he's really interested in this girl who just rebuffs all of his advances. And he's like, oh, she's so disrespectful, but yet I pine for her so. And like, just all of these, like, regular stereotypes that I was like, man, for a book written in 2006, I thought we'd kind of be past a lot of the typical tropes and stereotypes. And it just feels like it falls into all of the things I've read before, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just don't know that it does any of them in a particularly fun or interesting way.
0: And, and I can see that it's 530 pages and I feel like if you're like hating a book, like 60 pages in, that has to be really demoralizing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, so, okay. Well, let, I just did Let
2: me throw a book in, since you guys are talking about books. Let's did do I tell it. you? Did I ask you? I don't know if I asked this to William before. Have you read The Knife of Never Letting Go? Did I ask you that before? So we, I, it's, it's in the chaos walking trilogy. It's by, it's by, um, um, Patrick Ness. Uh, it's the first of three books. And, um, I was able to pitch this, uh, one of our, one of PSVG's Patreon podcast is a book club and I was able to pitch this to get into the last episode. So I re re run through the book and and Seth read it for the first time. Um, but it's more sci-fi lost fantasy. Um, but the premise without spoiling anything is, uh, you follow the main character, um, Todd Hewitt, and he lives in a place called Prentice town, which is something you might want to, like you consider maybe like Amishy kind of, um, where they have a rule where the day a a boy turns 13, he becomes a man. And that is this part of this town's history. And Todd is 12 going on 13. He's about to turn 13. Um, uh, What you don't know, well, what you do also know is in this town, there are are no women. They're all dead. And men have this thing called the noise where you can hear everyone's thoughts and, and you can even project images at people. So you're able to hear constant noise all the time until you can learn to like tune it out as a child. Growing up there, and then um, um, uh, things progress from there. You find out a lot more about Prentice Town and and all the people in it. Uh, it's a very interesting book. And there's a dog that talks, too. You can hear animals' voices, too. So he has a dog named Manchi who uh, talks to him all the time, and he's like the Jar Jar Binks of the story, <laughs> but not as annoying. <laughs>
1: That's a way to sell it. It's the Jar Jar Binks of the story.
0: Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand. You've described only one aspect of that character. It's, Jar Jar Binks is only annoying. If you take that away, I, don't, I think you're just left with like nothing. There is nothing there.
2: All right. He's like, I can't think of another talking animal. He's like the Scooby-Doo. No, that's not. That doesn't do a justice. doo Yeah, he's like the Scrappy-Doo. Yeah, you're right. He's more Scrappy-Doo than Scooby. He, you know he would defend you. He wouldn't run away.
1: <laughs> Alright, so we have hit our hour mark. Uh, my overrated piece of media, um, I, I'm just gonna see what your reactions to me saying this are, and then we'll we'll call it good. Uh my overrated piece of media uh is a movie <clears throat> that came out in nineteen ninety-nine. That movie's <laughs> called Boondock Saints.
2: You're insane. <laughs> that movie doesn't make any sense. Oh, Nothing no. in that movie makes sense. I'm not going to debate you on this. That's you're, fine. You
1: don't have to. Y- and like you're I said, wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I think it's overrated. But uh, isn't
2: it terribly rated? Isn't it
0: like? Wasn't it like? Yeah. Like panned like across the board. Is even that too? I don't
1: think. Cr-
2: I don't Let's think critics liked liked like it, but it has. Yeah, I don't think
1: critics like it, but I think it has an ex. Like, it has a twenty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Right, but what's the user rating for
2: it? Oh, on Rotten, it's <laughs> I don't want to say. It. What is it? <laughs> it's a ninety-one.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like critics don't like it, but it has like this really passionate, strong fan base that just adore this movie. And I watched it, and I, I'll admit, I haven't watched it in a really long time, but I watched it. Somewhere around when it came out, and then I had some staff members when I was first uh, got my first professional job working as a hall director. I had staff members who adored the movie, so I sat down and watched it with them. And I'm like, I just, I don't get it. Like, it just this movie doesn't make any sense. I okay, I'm glad you like it. I just don't understand. But the people who love this movie love this movie. Yeah, and I just don't understand.
0: But it has so, that great Josh scene with Willem Dafoe where he's like,
1: "There was a firefight." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes that's such. i gotta watch that movie a serial crushing a serial crushing
1: <laughs> so uh, anyway so that's my pick like i said i know critics didn't love it but i just man that fan base loves that movie Woo! they are fans so it's cool.
0: just murder well, it's hour. just so much murder it's as much murder as you all learned.
2: murder <laughs> it is all murder. yes yeah so. oh suicide kings underrated sorry with christopher Walken. Go on. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> well, we've hit our hour. So, William, thank you so much for joining us. Is there uh, anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to tell our listeners? Anything you want them follow you on social media? Anything like that at all?
2: Wear
0: a mask. That's it.
2: <laughs> yeah, you idiots. Wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> love of God. <laughs> wow. Josh Harsh. Okay. Listen, so- if you're killing people, you're an idiot. Wear a goddamn mask. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we would appreciate it if you'd wear a mask. That would be really helpful so that we can wrap this whole virus thing up and then not have to worry about it, hopefully, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being a patron. <laughs> we really appreciate it. And until next month, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.